Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting-edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Joan Hodell is a life coach and an energy healing practitioner with a background in nursing. She is really passionate about her work and is always learning something new. Joan focuses on the combination of modalities that help her clients heal in the fastest, least invasive, most effective way possible. She works with the subconscious and the energy field, striving to meet people where they are and then gently invite them to expand their concept of what is possible. If you're interested in learning more about Joan's work or connecting with her, you can find her website and email in the show notes. Well, Joan, thank you so much for joining us today. This is really exciting to have you here. Kathy, thank you so much for inviting me. I was really excited to be able to join your podcast. So one of the things that I want to start with on here, you know, for today with our conversation, especially since we're talking to helping professionals, this whole idea of, especially over the last few years, what has been magnified by the global pandemic, but just the idea in general of burnout. And so if you could talk a little bit from your perspective about burnout, what it is, what you see in your practice, and maybe take a into what your understanding is about the the additional pressure that got put on helping professionals over the last two or three years. Absolutely, and happy to. Uh, Burnout has been uh, a passion of mine, at least since I was an RN, clear back, you know, starting in the 80s. And it was first identified in the mid-70s, the word burnout. It was labeled that because the doc who was researching it was working with drug addicts. And it was in a clinic in, I believe it was New York, that may not be the accurate place. But he also had professional physicians coming and helping the addicts. And what he noticed is that the professionals were starting to mimic what it looks like for addicts when they're just zoned out. Not to that extreme, but that's where the word burnout comes from. And it's also identified as compassion fatigue, and it it strikes people who really want to make a difference in the world. They are called to healing. They want to bring their healing presence, their healing skills, and that's been around at least since the 70s. So I remember there were a lot of burnout nurses, burnout physicians, 80s, 90s. So we were going into the pandemic burned out, and then the pandemic hit, and it led to what's now being referred to as the Great Resignation. People don't know how to deal with that much external stimuli, stress. It's too much. I would use the word traumatic for some physicians and nurses who endured the worst of the pandemic, and we can talk about what all that endured. But the system has been problematic since the 70s and has not improved. It has been exacerbated. Because what happens on a macrocosm, what's going on in the environment is also going on in the healthcare system and within people. Kind of the macrocosm, microcosm kind of idea that they're mirroring one another, actually. 
So I think it's pretty interesting that the whole idea of burnout and then by extension, secondary traumatic stress, which is, you know, when the symptoms start to get a bit more like, you know, the response to a trauma that's not ours directly, that there is such a relationship between being burned out, not being able to feel like you can make a difference, you know, when you when you just look around and there's just too much. Absolutely. And we're working, we're looking at people who are drawn to healthcare and other professions, caregiving professions. We could throw in counselors, we could throw in, there's so many people, but they're, they're caring people. They really, they've studied hard. We look at physicians, the preparation and, and do come, remind me to come back to of how we prepare people and set them up for burnout. And I mean, burnout doesn't just happen. There are symptoms that lead us up to that. And we push through them. Typically, we just push through them. And then all of a sudden, we come up with ways to cope, whether that is effective or not, you know, but we come up with effective ways to survive the trauma that's all around us. And yeah, you're right. We, if we don't deal with that in a healthy way, it comes out sideways in places where we don't want it to. And all of a sudden, then we start to be not the helping person that we want to be. So now we're really off. It's interesting to me that we have these, you know, when we look at young people just getting started in the careers and they're really excited. And let's look specifically at physicians who spend a decade preparing for this career that they're drawn to. And from we go back even farther because even to get into med school, everybody knows you have to have straight A's, you have to be involved in 16 different things. The they have proven their value. They have proven their expertise. They have proven themselves by the time they even get into medical school. And then they're taught that they cannot have any needs. And so that's a perfect setup. If we can't even identify with our needs, if we push past our needs, it's not long before we think we don't have any needs, only we all do. And so that's a key factor, the internal environment, the internal conversation that we tell ourselves to push through and take care of other people. That is a place that we have a lot of impact, no matter what's going on externally, without taking away that there are external factors that I think personally need to change in order to have a healthy healthcare system. As far as a, an environment for people to function in. Absolutely to feel supported and and all of that. So recognizing that this all certainly intensified during the global pandemic and you know we're still seeing the results of all of that now. I think this is really interesting and I think that this is probably not a big news flash to anybody who might be listening to our podcast they're like going well yeah of course you know kind of a thing. So what I think would be awesome, especially with your background in kind of meeting people where they are and helping them, you know, learn to recognize their own needs and working with what that looks like on a, on the healing journey on the other side of it. I think it would be awesome to start to look at what you think are the factors within us as individuals and as helping professionals in whatever milieu we're functioning in. What do you, where do you feel like we can start for ourselves to begin to make a difference? What do you see? I want to split that into two because I don't want to move past the pandemic yet simply because I'm going to share a story about somebody that was a real person, but I'm going to not identify the person at all. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge what happened during the 
pandemic in healthcare before we just move on. And we went from a, from an already pretty heightened state of burnout to overnight being in pandemic mode. And all of a sudden, physicians were thrust into situations they didn't know how to take care of as were nurses. They, everybody was terrified they were going to bring it home. They were the, the height of fear. And I'm sharing this because until I heard this person actually tell her story, I didn't really get the terror that was placed on physicians who were at the front lines responsible for not only their patients, but their children, their elderly parents, their staff, short staffing, everything that happened within that. And then they went from being heroes, remember how we used to clap for everybody, to being perceived as the enemy by others. And all of that happened in a way that these people are just showing up, trying to do their best without a lot of guidance or conflicting guidance. And they've been carrying the stress with them without abatement. So one of the things that I would propose would be healthy for us as a community would be to have in very, very small places, I don't know how we would do this, but I do this with my clients, to provide a sacred, safe space for them to tell their story, just to be able to hear it without people who are going to be secondarily traumatized, but just to hold space for them to get this burden that they've been carrying off of their chest. I think that serves us wherever we are after we've gone through some intensity, an example of which is the pandemic. So we need safe people, compassionate people who can hear us, acknowledge us, and not shame us, because we're already doing that to ourselves. We're already expecting ourselves to have done this in some imaginarily perfect way. And people who come out of our education system in healthcare, we don't have any needs but we do have needs. So I would recommend that we need to tell the story of our pain to honor that and then to literally write up on little slits of paper, what was it that I lost? What was I afraid of? What did I carry? What was I not allowed to express? Sit around a fire and literally write up one thing at a time and burn that. Symbolically, let that go. We can't carry that in our bodies anymore because we know what stress does to our bodies. And then after we do that, then celebrate life. Come back to the fact, yeah, I am resilient. I don't need to become more resilient. Look how much I've already overcome. Celebrate that, honor that, have a party with other people who've gone through it. And if you don't have other people to go through it, do it with your friends or your family. But I think that's one healing thing that we can all move from the in as culturally, community-wise, with the pandemic. That's That's one external thing. Internally, since we live in a high-stress world, in healthcare particularly. Some things that I wish I would have known before I experienced burnout after 20 years as an RN are, I don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Can't be all things to all people. I think people tend to strive to do that. And that is really hard, because since we can't do that, then we start self-criticizing. We start the downward spiral. So giving ourselves not to be perfect, even though we come out of a system that entrains that in us, that we have to be perfect, that we don't have needs. Admit that we do have needs. We do need rest. We do need fun. We do need people to listen to us. We do need to feel like we're making a difference. And we do get to have a well-balanced life. What I help people do is to start looking inside. 
what are the internal expectations we have of ourselves to function in an environment that is no longer really supportive, if ever it was, I don't know, to we can only give from a place of overflow before we start giving from a place of resentment and anger and hostility, whether we want to or not. So we have to take care of our our inner needs and acknowledge that we have them. Then we can set boundaries from that place. When we start putting ourselves as a priority, then we can start saying no. And this is particularly for the nurses out there who we easily say, sure, I'll work that double shift. I'm exhausted, but yeah, you're short. I can't, I can't not take care of these people. I can't leave my colleagues without a nurse. The double shifts, the, all the extra work, we've got to start saying no to that. If we want to change the numbers of people fleeing the great resignation and really bring health back into healthcare. Well, and I also think it's that part of this and, you know, what kind of popped into my head as I was listening to you, Joan, was this idea is that, yeah, you know, there is a, a real need for us to get better at saying no to things that fit with us. But I also think there is something really valuable in learning to say yes. Yes. To the things that really inspire us and really, you know, set us on fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is equally important. I'm glad you brought that up. Because what tends to happen, again, and I am globalizing this, I know I know that there are specialties, but the, the people, my experience and people that I work with, we tend to say yes to the calling of our heart, which tends to be the caregivers. We we literally get filled up by helping other people, coming from a place of compassion. But then we forget about all the rest of life. We forget who we are and what lights us up. And I do deal with a lot of people who literally will say, especially like by the time we're in our late 30s and 40s, it's like, I don't remember what I like to do. I don't remember. And so just literally to help people get out and start Start playing, like, just try some things. What did you like to do when you were 13? Or what did you like to do when you were five? You probably still like those things. And yeah, so we have to get filled up by, absolutely, that's a great point. I think that the whole idea of boundaries, I think a lot of people think about it as just saying no to stuff, but I think it's both. Yes. And I think, too, healthy boundaries looks very different than forceful boundaries. And when it comes from a place of, I love to, I would love to help you, but you know what? I really need to go spend the afternoon out looking at wildflowers, for instance. No is a complete sentence. And to help people come up with a compassionate, authentic, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me because I'm going to do, you don't have to say the why you're not going to do it. But yes, they go together. Absolutely. So we understand if I, if we go back to this understanding of when we first actually formally started identifying burnout and labeling it as such. And so that whole process was already in place. And then we hit this healthcare crisis with the pandemic. And now we're coming out into a different relationship with all of that. And yet burnout is still on the table. So I guess the question as we are moving into whatever phase is next, what do we do with that? The fact that this common thread has run through all of it and it still exists today. Mm, That's such a good question. In our present time. Because if we look at the common theme of burnout, Mm -hmm. and it's just 
exacerbating or simmering down. We turn the volume up or we turn the volume down on burnout. We are at such a moment of opportunity. I feel more hope for our culture, for our our healthcare system for individuals now than ever before, because we have evidence that we can tolerate a lot. And how do we move forward? Let's look at burnout. It's compassion fatigue. It's giving more than we're receiving. The battery is not getting charged. How can we do that? How can we take the lessons we've learned in all of our lives up until now and create something new, a more supportive environment? Yes, that's internal. The job is ultimately up to us. What do I need? What do you need to feel supported, to feel like you're getting your cup filled, knowing that you're chosen a field that you're giving, 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 giving? I think that's ultimately, that is the key to preventing burnout. Acknowledging too, that even if you've had a hard day, you made a difference in somebody's lives, pointing, really acknowledging how you, how all of us are rewarded by this work that we do. And how can we create environments that are intentionally supportive for each other? I think that's, I know I don't, I don't have answers, but I think if we would gather together and as we do continue to gather together to share perspectives and ideas, I think that's the path forward. I think it's collaboration. I think it's thinking out of the box. I think it's not, no longer tolerating self-abuse in the name of caring for others. I don't really have answers, but I just have more questions. That's great. So when you start to, and I and I'm, I know I'm kind of jumping topics just a hair here, but I think this ties into the whole idea of boundaries because the more we push through things and the more we overextend ourselves and the more that we don't listen to the things that are our personal needs and taking care of those, then we also start to, first of all, lose track of who we are as individuals. I think you put it really eloquently. It's like, if I can't, I can't even remember what brought me joy when I was five. So we start to forget that stuff because we kind of get swept away by all the things that are present in, in our faces. So do you have any thoughts about learning how to reconnect with those things that bring us joy? And any ideas or thoughts about how we start to really integrate those really important ideas back into our adult selves, our adult lives? Yeah, that's a great question. I do have real simple practice to help people get out of their heads and back into their bodies, because most of us live in our heads, Mm -hmm. and especially in a healthcare environment where we're taught to push through and we don't have any needs. I just help people get back into their bodies by simple things, by just simply, I mean, it's easy practice is to, okay, bring your attention to your left ankle. Can you bring your attention to your right little finger? Can you bring your attention to your heart? Okay, then the next step is, what are you feeling? Because people literally, until we can name what we're feeling, we live in overwhelm. And until we can name what we're feeling, we don't know when we get lit up. We are the scale, the breadth and the depth of our feeling is so narrow that it literally is hard for us to even know what joy feels like. We know what joy is. I mean, we never get to the point where we're just 
blank slates walking around. But when we lose the ability to feel what's going on in our bodies, when we don't remember what lights us up, that's a clue we haven't been in our bodies feeling for long enough that I have to help teach people how to get back into your body and to play, pretend like, okay, so let's just accept you don't know what it feels like. You don't know what lights you up. Why don't you make a list of five things that you're going to just go see if you like it or not? It can be anything from, I mean, people could watch TV. We make that a bad thing, but sometimes that's an okay thing. It could be cooking an incredible meal. It could be going out with your dog. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to take a lot of time, but we need to teach people what it even feels like to be happy again. And to be able to make that connection, I mean, it's it it feels like rather than walking the dog being one more thing that you check off your list or cooking a meal that one more thing to check off your list, it's like shifting your perception of those activities to something that is now nurturing for me. Very good. As opposed to, well, now I got to do this. Exactly. And I would step back. What I encourage people to do is, what is your definition of success today? Mm. It's probably different than you. it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even last year. What is your definition of success today? What are your values? What are the most important pieces in your life that you don't want to get to the end of your life and say, oh, I didn't do this? Really help people name those things. Because I think that's also indicative of how we can show up different in our world. If I have the goal of experiencing more joy in my life, then I wake up and I just remind myself, joy. I'm going to experience joy today. I'm going to take joy with me wherever I go. And that means accepting. I have very little control over the external world. I have a lot of control, 100% control over my internal reaction to that world. So we can have an intention of what we want to feel. And I would say, let's not pick 20 things that we want to experience. (laughs) Joy, enthusiasm, excitement, education, all that stuff. Let's pick one word a day. I'm going to experience joy. And that And we carry that with us. We remind ourselves of that, whether we're washing our hands, talking with a friend, in some form of service, we can bring joy into the moments of where we are, or you fill in the blank, but we have the ability and the control to do that. It's a bit like, you know, I I noticed when I was doing a personal gratitude practice that I had to give myself a little rule that I wasn't allowed to write down the same thing every day. Really? That makes it really challenging. It, It makes it really challenging. But what it started to do, and I think that this kind of ties into what you were what you were just talking about, was that it forced me to start to actually look because I knew I had to come up with three things. It's like, okay, I got to look for three things today that are different than what I wrote down yesterday and what I wrote down the day before. And I suspect you probably made some of those things really simple. Absolutely. Very simple. And what I noticed that it did, and I think this ties in, this is what I think ties into what you were just talking about, is this idea that I just started paying more attention. Yes. What is that Dr. Joe Dispenza? Energy, fl- anyhow, I'm going to mess it up, but Dr. Joe Dispenza says something similar to the effect of where our energy, where our attention goes, Close. our energy flows. And I think that is really accurate. The thing about gratitude, which I'm 100% in favor of focusing on gratitude Mm -hmm. and focusing on the benefit, have to be careful with people who are experiencing burnout so they don't use one more thing to beat themselves up. Oh, I'm not gracious enough. I'm not, I should be more grateful. So in addition 
not instead of, but in addition to the focuses of gratitude and looking for joy, which I 100% support, I also really believe it's important that we own our negative feelings. And I have practices with people because now here I'm going to say that women in particular have been reinforced, celebrated for being kind, sweet, generous with our time, we're we're really re- rewarded for that. And given that the predominant number of people in healthcare are women, it's really important to me that I help te- teach people some skills to own and claim and express their anger, their sadness in very healthy ways. That doesn't mean at the workplace. It doesn't mean venting at the nurse's station for all day long. That's just a downward spiral. Venting is important. But there's a practice that I can talk about that really helps people own and release their anger. I think that would be really super useful because what we never want to do is villainize or demonize our emotions. Right. Because they just are. And who hasn't done that, right? We all have done that. So very simple practice that I I know work for people. And I, it's a practice I've been doing for 13 years. And it's simply a practice called free form writing, which is different than journaling. And it's different than contemplative. All you do, the purpose is to put pen in hand on a piece of paper and to get the emotion out. The pen is and the paper are really just a, a tool. So you carve out time, you make this a practice. Start out with saying, okay, I'm going to do this for 10 minutes, three times a week, moving up to optimally 10 minutes, seven times a day or longer. But it's a way that you just sit down and first you have to get in touch with your body. What am I feeling? Okay, well, now we're looking for those negative feelings. Who am I angry at? What am I angry at? If you can't find something in your own life, there's always politics. There's always something to feel anger about until you get familiar with this tool. And then you simply take your pen, and I recommend people get like a stack of printer paper, and then you just start moving your pen as fast as your thoughts are flowing. So I usually can get like two words that are legible for me, and then it just becomes a bunch of squiggly lines. And I'm going to just make this whole scenario up. But I would say there's also no screening your thoughts. So this is pure, raw, get the emotion out in a safe way. It's like taking the trash out. And so you just start writing, I'm so angry at such and such. And how did they think about this? And why didn't they think about this? And blah, 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 right? We all know that. Just write it all out. And if you write long enough, usually 10 minutes is more than enough time. Sometimes it goes longer. You will feel a shift. It will move from that anger. If we think about anger as being an ocean wave that washes over us, it doesn't, the ocean doesn't stay over us. It moves out. The anger doesn't stay with us. If we let it out, it will flow out. So you get the anger out and then you feel a shift. Oftentimes it goes to a place of awareness of, Oh, I feel really sad about this. I wish this was different. That's when you know you're done. And so now you've taken the trash out. You want to put the new liner in the garbage can or the new liner in your body. And so then once you become aware of, you feel that shift, then you fill it up with compassion, self-acceptance and compassion. And you just, I usually encourage people to put their hand on their heart and just say, oh, talk gently to yourself like you're talking to a puppy or a child. Oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry you felt like that. This is the truth about you. You are doing your best. You are lovable. You are likable. 
we put in a new liner, and then we literally feel different and we can go about our day in a different way. It's not pushing the feelings away or pretending it's real. The longer we do that, the less trash we have to take out, and life just gets better. Yeah, and that's a practice, I think, that is such a, well, it's so it's doable. It's really doable. There's another really fun one for for getting anger out. It's really fun. You have to have, typically you need a garage and an ice machine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go. Fun, right? Yeah, yeah. So literally you get a bowl of ice. Just go to your freezer, your refrigerator, get some ice. If you're just a little bit angry, get a small bowl. If you have to go back and get more, that's okay too. But then you go out, get the cars out. You've got that nice concrete and you have privacy. And in this, you pick up a, a piece of ice, an ice cube in your hand, and you bring it back like a, you're throwing a baseball. And you let the feelings of anger and rage come forward. And then you hurl that ice while you're saying you're getting the anger out. And here too, the only rule is no good girls, no good boys are allowed because that's how we are out in the real world. This is a time to give ourselves permission to swear and to really get that anger out. We all have it. And then the fun part of that, so you you pick up the ice, you're swearing as you're throwing it, and then you see the ice dissolve in smithereens. It's just such a satisfying feeling. And then you check in on your body again. Okay, am I still angry? Oh, yeah. So you pick up another piece of ice and you hurl that. And you just, it doesn't take very long. And all of a sudden, again, you feel that shift in your body. And oftentimes, almost always, there's something really tender in there. It's not anger, it's pain. But we can't get to the pain. We can't address that until we get through the anger. And then it's our job to love ourselves. And then you go about your day. And the, I think it's pretty pretty great because there is something really kind of satisfying about watching something just kind of break against a wall or whatever. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you don't want to throw glasses or dishware. <laughs> that could get expensive <laughs> yeah, and messy. It's really messy and really expensive. So the idea of ice is because then it melts. Yes. And then it's gone. Right. And both of these practices are done solo, done alone. You're not, we're not spewing our anger in any inappropriate ways. We're not hurting other people with our anger, but we are expressing it. Mm-hmm. So as we start to wrap up a little bit here today, Joan, is there anything else that you want to add, especially in the practicality of here's what you can do for yourself? Yeah, the more self-aware we can become about our internal dialogue, the healthier we are going to be. So I encourage people to pay attention to their thoughts. We all have that running litany of thoughts that we never express. And most of us don't even pay attention to. But start noticing, is this negative self-talk? Is this, am I beating up on myself? Or am I lifting myself up? Most of the time, it's not very kind. And so call ourselves out. First thing is always notice. What are your thoughts? And then when you say, oh, they're not very nice. Okay. Then you can just, a simple practice is, well, how can I make that a little bit more kind? We don't have to go from five to 10, but let's move from five to six. If I were going to, if I, my self-criticism is a five right now, what would it be like if I start talking more kindly to myself and move it up to a six? So we just move people a little bit. So noticing their thoughts, self-care. There's no getting away from 
just the basics, setting boundaries for other people so we can get the basics of nourishment, of sleep, of hydration, optimally of exercise, of play, of relationships, of connecting. We need all of those things and to give ourselves permission. So notice your thoughts, start getting into your body a little bit more. And then when you're in your body, start wondering what it would be like to have more fun in my life. I wonder how good my life can be. And then keep exploring that. That's great. Excellent. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us today. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate your insights and your certainly your expertise. You've been doing all of this work with people for such a long time that I think you were pretty prepared for the pandemic, on at least professionally, right? As- I'm really grateful that I've learned these skills. They are yeah. literally life-changing. I went from being a person who could no longer feel as a coping mechanism to feeling intense, intensely, and I love my life. If I can move from where that was, so can everybody else, and it's my passion to help people do that.